welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello, and welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, episode number 119, and Transporter Lock, episode number 84, for November 29th, 2021. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. Two years ago, I backed a Kickstarter for an album by The Library Bards, a comedic musical duo consisting of Bonnie Gordon and Xander Genre. The resulting album was a delightful mix of pop songs with lyrics rewritten to be about everything from Spider-Man to Firefly, The Princess Bride to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Other than repeatedly recommending the album to all my friends, I hadn't dug further into the library bards until just last month when half of the group, Bonnie Gordon, exploded across my newsfeed not once, but twice. First, Bonnie was back on Kickstarter, crowdfunding a solo album, Con Artist, which, of course, I immediately backed. Uh, Second, I co-host a Star Trek podcast, Transporter Lock, where we were excited for the recent debut of the new animated series, Star Trek Prodigy. And whose name should be in that show's credits but Bonnie Gordon as the voice of the ship's computer on the USS Protostar. That's when I discovered that Bonnie is an accomplished voice actor, from cartoons to anime to video games such as Street Fighter V. She's the kind of person I want to talk to on Polygamer and on Transporter Lock. So join me in welcoming to both shows the actor and musician, Bonnie Gordon. Hello, Bonnie. What an incredible intro. I'm blushing. (laughs) Wow. Alas, it is an audio podcast and we cannot see the blush. Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll paint a picture. Paint a picture, darling. Use your imagination. <laughs> well, Bonnie, you are such an effervescent individual. I have to remind myself that we're not already great friends. <laughs> oh, you know what? Though, here's the thing: when it comes to the nerd and geek world, you know, especially when it comes to people that you know we interact with on Twitter and, and social media all over, I, I feel like we're just a bunch of nerds geeking out together and friendship is pretty much that anyway like i feel closer to some of the people i interact with on twitter than i do to some of my friends i see on a regular basis so you know the amount of FaceTime is irrelevant i welcome our friendship with open arms oh thank you so i listed just a few of your impressive and diverse credits i want to get into so many of them but let me start by asking what do you feel people most know you for is it library bards like how i discovered you well, people first discovered me um, on a show called The Quest. It was a, a fantasy reality show on ABC that, um, and it was on Netflix for a short time as well, where they took a bunch of nerds and flew us to Austria and we lived in a fantasy realm called <laughs> called Everrealm. And we were all competing to be the one true hero and save the realm from the evil Verlocks. I mean, I could go on explaining what the show is about, but let's just say it was amazing. And if you haven't seen it, go try and find it. I think it's still on Amazon Prime and on the ABC.com uh, website and streaming app. However, uh, season two will be coming up on Disney Plus sometime next year. So that's exciting. Uh, it's a, an ex- it's such a fun show and it's all about being a hero and, you know, being true to yourself. And I was on that show as one of the contestants. And that's kind of what started, it kind of jump started my career. You know, I was already into performing and voiceover and theater and whatnot, but my career hadn't really taken off until that show. And um, finding that's that just that really core fan base of nerds that, you know, propelled me to continue creating and pursuing something 
within the geekdom <laughs> of of life. So yeah, I um I think I was first discovered on that. I think most people know me voiceover wise um, from Street Fighter Five. Um, that's a pretty popular game with Capcom. Either that or the Fire Emblem series. I think most people would recognize me from there. But obviously, my most amazing credit to date would be Star Trek Prodigy. And that's what a delight to finally be Star Trek canon. I feel like I've been just hanging out in the shuttle bay for so long, <laughs> trying to trying to get myself up onto the bridge. And now I, I finally made it. It's true. It's true. You are the ship's computer on the USS Protostar. And you auditioned for that originally two years ago. And you didn't find out until this year that you had gotten a part. Is that correct? Yes. Well, uh, you know, it was, a, it was such an uh, incredibly long and tedious process because, you know, animation takes such a long time. And this show, if you're watching it at all, it's so incredibly detailed and the animation is, is so beautiful because animation takes such a long time. You know, they started casting, you know, way before um, COVID happened. And um, I originally got brought in by the Hageman brothers to do scratch for Gwen. And then later I even got to do scratch for Janeway. For those of you who don't know who, what scratch is, they'll bring in actors to uh, read the lines of the characters before the actual more famous actors come in <laughs> to, um, you know, lay down the actual tracks. That way the animators have something to animate too. It's not just, you know, lines on a paper. It's it actually having an actor read it brings it to life. So I started doing scratch for Gwen and Janeway and, and other random, you know, characters throughout the series. And um, throughout the time of me coming in through that process, they were looking to find a, a permanent role for me. And when the audition for the, the ship computer came about, I knew I would jump on that really quickly. So I, I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful to Ben, the director, uh, Brooke, the voiceover director. I mean, the whole team, when I say it's such a pleasure to work with them, I'm not just, <laughs> I'm not just sucking up. Like I've never worked with such an incredible creative team like this. Um, and everyone loves Star Trek in it. You know, everyone, even if they're not, you know, even if someone in the team isn't a full Trekkie, like they're, they still love the, the message behind Star Trek, you know? And I think now I can say everyone on the team loves Star Trek, considering that they're all, you know, I'm sure the whole cast is watching. Do you get to actually work with your cast or are you all recording your parts separately and remotely? With COVID, everything changed within the voiceover realm. You know, it used to be you could go into a studio and the entire cast would be there and record together. Now everyone's recording remotely from home. Uh, I've been lucky enough to go into the studio at Nickelodeon a few times, but it's very rare. Um, and, and, and I'm usually the only one there with just the audio engineer and everyone else is on a Zoom call. Uh, but for the most part, it's all through Zoom from home in my bedroom. You know, like every now and then you'll hear my cat meow and we have to redo a, a take because, you know, or, or a car driving by, a plane flying overhead. It makes recording from home a little, a little bit more stressful because there's so much noise that you have to make sure to background noise. And, you know, unless you have the space and the money for like a full on studio booth in your home. You got to make do with foam on your walls and blankets on your windows. And that's kind of what my, my, my bedroom is like a dark cave. What kind of setup is that? Do you actually have a dedicated studio or do you just go into your closet and shut the door? I don't even go into my closet. I, I wouldn't be able to fit into my closet. It's just a, 
my closet is a very long, a very long hallway wall. So it's not very deep. It's just very long. So there's no place for me to actually record in my closet. So I have a corner in my room with foam, uh, soundproof foam along the wall and up through the ceiling. And then I have a, a blanket over my window to help with some of the sound coming through the bedroom window. Um, since I'm next to a busy street in North Hollywood where cars try and drag race. And then I just try and be as quiet as possible. I, I feed my cat a precisely 15 minutes before a session so he won't meow <laughs> throughout asking for food. And what is your cat's name? Iyapa. He's named after the Incan god of thunder and lightning. The Incan Thor. Gotcha, gotcha. So you're looking for a very quiet environment when you're recording. I hope that the night Star Trek Prodigy debuted was a little bit more raucous. Was there like a big viewing at your house or a party that you were invited to? Well, there was a premiere party. Um, (laughs) I wasn't invited, but that's okay. Uh, There was a premiere party that I think Paramount put on and, you know, with the core cast and the... um, and the creative team and that I, you know, I was keeping track with that. I actually live, I was going to live tweet the show, uh, earlier in the evening, but then, um, if you, if you know of the wonderful, extremely intelligent Dr. Aaron McDonald, who is, um, who is the science consultant for most of Star Trek, she was in town and we, the night, the night that, um, prodigy premiered we were celebrating and did our own little celebration and then i ended up live tweeting it later um after having slightly too many drinks with dr aaron (laughs) and it was a blast so i i I think i went back to those tweets and went are are these okay (laughs) so how's it feel i mean you've seen and heard yourself in final works before video games anime but how does it feel to be canon in star trek and to watch the cartoon and hear yourself as the ship's computer you know words can't really describe it i tend to ramble and talk a lot and when you ask me to say how does it feel i'm at a loss for words because it's it's so overwhelming um in the best way possible Star Trek is such an important part of my life and I'm such a fan of Star Trek and to be following in the footsteps of the legendary Majel Barrett Roddenberry is just, again, I'm I'm speechless. Um, To hear my, one of the best compliments I get with when it comes to Prodigy is a lot of, you know, a lot of my friends have been tuning in to watch um, my friends and family, and you know they're watching and they're getting lost in the story. They're getting lost in the in the animation and the visuals and just the heart of it all. And they'll realize that a scene just passed where the computer was talking, and they'll completely forget that that was my voice <laughs> because they're so into it. And they'll have to rewind it and rewatch it and be like, "Oh yeah, that's Bonnie." But I think the best compliment for me for my you know performance is that you don't hear Bonnie speaking when you hear the computer um th- i mean the how horrible would that be if you're just like you know acknowledged you know like if you hear my if you hear my weird you know cadence of a voice coming through like you know red alert red alert you know like <laughs> thank goodness no one recognizes my voice as it so it, that's kind of been the coolest compliment to get is that you know we were watching and we completely forgot it was you and they feel bad about it and i go no that's that's a good thing i want to feel a part of Star Trek. I want it to feel like I'm already part of the universe and you can imagine my voice as a computer within the universe. So, so yeah. yeah. 
No, no, I totally get that. I used to sing in a men's choir and I once had somebody tell me, oh, Ken, your voice came through crystal clear. And I'm like, it shouldn't because I'm in a choir. <laughs> it was not a solo. <laughs> and so if they, were, if they were to recognize your voice, that'd be similar. You want to blend into the world. Exactly. Exactly. And two other ways in which you were made canon just this month on November 8th, you now have a Wikipedia entry. I know. Someone made that for me. That, that was so sweet of them. I, I was so excited. I mean, anybody could have made it at any point, but sometimes they get deleted if the person is not, quote unquote, notable. So now you are notable, Bonnie. I'm a notable. <laughs> and even more important, as of November 5th, you have an entry on Memory Alpha. I didn't know that. I'm going to go Google myself. This is great. <laughs> so even before the Wikipedia page showed up, you showed up in the wiki for Star Trek, and it was a little incomplete. I added some stuff to it today. Oh, thank you. Well, gee golly. Well, they had somehow overlooked the, the fact that you were part of the closing cast of Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas. I was back in 2008. <sighs> Oh, man, I feel old. <laughs> no, I went to the Star Trek experience back in 98, and my heart is still broken that I can't go back. Oh, it was it was unlike anything. I mean, I could I could do an entire podcast just talking about the Star Trek experience, but I won't. I won't. I shan't. You should, because it was wonderful. And you were a Starfleet officer on the Enterprise at the experience, correct? I was. I was only, I think, 21, 22 at the time. I'm 35 now. Do the math if you want. Or don't. Please don't. Actually, don't, don't do the math. Uh, I, you know, so I was fairly young and maybe 22, 23. Ah, who knows? Who, who cares at this point? And I looked really young as well. And so I could never be, you know, a higher. Um, I, I, I never really got very many pips. I was always an ensign on the bridge because, you know, I, I, I couldn't look the part of a lieutenant commander or, um, but no, it was, it was so much fun. And we, you know, we all got trained in multiple roles and, you know, I was the kind of person who would change my accent every show. Cause it was an ongoing show where, you know, every 20 minutes, a new audience would be walked through into the transporter room, then onto the bridge and through the, you know, turbo lift, all that. And, um, I would change my accent every new show coming through and I would get in trouble a little bit for that, but not all the accents were appropriate for that era. Um, no, I think I remember doing, I think the one that got me in trouble the most was, you know, I, I was working as I think Ensign Thomas was the character I was playing or something. I don't know. I don't remember the names. Oh, this makes me sad. You, you've, you've been on it before, but for those who haven't, the listeners, you would get loaded into a room as if you were about to go onto a ride, kind of like, you know, a, a video simulation ride, you know, and you're in your little lines, kind of like at, you know, Disneyland where you're in line waiting for a ride. And then all of a sudden all the lights start flickering and, and things start going crazy and um, you don't know what's happening. And the lights go out and you hear the transporter sound and then the lights come back on and you're completely different. Uh, you're in a completely different room. You're in the transporter room and it was done with a vacuum effect it was one of the coolest things ever. Um, truly magical. People, the the awe on people's faces when the lights would come back on was just so fun to watch. But I got in trouble for doing the, um, you know, you are no longer in the year two thousand and eight. You're in the future. You know, we're you know, uh, Commander Riker from transporter room. We've got them, sir. You know, we got to get these people to the bridge. And I got in trouble for that accent. <sighs> 
I don't know why. I mean, I have a, I have a feeling that the Midwest still exists in <laughs> in uh, the future, right? Well, you should not have gotten in trouble for that, especially because my my transporter lock <laughs> co-host is from Fargo. And she would be hey. delighted to know that that accent still exists in the future. Oh, sure. Like, you are no longer in the year 2008. <laughs> and they would just look at me like I was crazy. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating it now. I didn't do that. I didn't do it that, you know, thick. Oh, we got to get you to the bridge, don't you know? Like, let's go. <laughs> Everybody get in a line and, follow, you know. Oh, no. I, I sound like a caricature. But, um, you know, I would, I would have fun with bringing different accents and voices and... You know, keeping the job entertaining for not just myself, but for my coworkers, just trying to get them to break character. So probably not the best <laughs> thing to do, but it was fun. It was, it was a good time. So clearly that was you as a live action Starfleet officer. Do you think you will will see you live action in Star Trek again someday? Oh, man. You know, that is the dream. Again, you know, I love the fact that Star Trek is so loyal to actors that um, play, especially character actors. You know, look at Jeffrey Combs. Look at um, look at just some of the actors that have just played so many multiple characters throughout the series, including Majel Barrett Roddenberry. I mean, she's been it. She was in it from the beginning. Um, and a dream of mine would just be having the chance to audition for one of the live action shows. Um, Especially, you know, I love wearing prosthetics. I love special effects makeup. I would love a chance to play some kind of alien uh, species. That would be just so much fun for me. And I do a lot of different, you know, voices. And I would love to tackle doing a different alien language or, you know, something challenging like that. I just think it's just so... Star Trek has so much um, different, I don't know, opportunities for character actors that I'm hoping for the day to one day uh, audition. If anyone's out there listening. <laughs> and would you rather be in like a more optimistic show like TNG, a darker show like DS9, an animated comedy like Lower Decks? What, what's your preference? Look, look, beggars can't be true. Let's <laughs> be real. I would take, I would take any, anything, honestly, just the, just the opportunity to continue to play pretend in a universe that means so much to me. I mean, I think it would be so much fun to play kind of a darker character too. A lot of people know me for comedy and for, um, you know, uh, being kind of like that happy go lucky. I'm, I'm a very incentilly in real life, uh, as myself. So I, I see people, you know, anytime discoveries on everyone, you know, texts or, tweets at me saying, oh, you, you're just like Ensign Tilly. I'm like, I know, but there's more to me. There's more to me than Tilly. So I would love an opportunity to play something, um, you know, different that people haven't seen me do before. I feel like the lighter and happier a person is, the scarier their mirror universe counterpart is going to be. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. You're, you're correct. I don't even want to know what my mirror universe <laughs> version of me is. Oh gosh, Mirror Bonnie. That that is a, a terrifying thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite of the Star Treks that are on right now besides Prodigy? Oh man. Oh man. I love I do love Discovery. I love the representation. I love the um I love how it's very different from anything that we've seen before that Star Trek has done. 
And uh, I'm just a, you know, huge fan of people like Anthony Rapp. So to see him being such a success, it makes me very pleased. Um, especially since he's a fellow D&D nerd. Um, shout out to my D&D folk. And just, uh, I, I love Lower Decks. I think it's so funny. I'm so glad we have something like Lower Decks that really punches in as many little Easter eggs and inside jokes as possible. It, it's really just, I almost feel like it's like a love letter to Star Trek. Like it's like almost like Star Trek fan fiction in a way where, you know, they, they put in so many clever moments that everyone can enjoy it. But like the true Trekkies, I mean, there's layers to some of those jokes and I just love that they, they really think it through. So shout out to Mike. Mike McMahon for creating that show. Yeah, Lower Decks is very nuanced. It moves very fast, and it's definitely a show designed for not just quote-unquote true Trekkies, but long-term Trekkies, people who have really absorbed these 800 Mm -hmm. episodes and are going to get the references. And sometimes there are ones that even go over my head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was doing some rewatches, you know, throughout COVID and, and, and stuff. So when Lower Decks came on, I was just... I was dying at some of the jokes because I I had just rewatched some of the things that they were referencing. So it was almost, I was almost just like, am I being watched right now? Like, are they <laughs> are they writing this for me? Because I feel like this is personal now. I gotta say, I I hate to make you repeat yourself, but I Ooh. listened to your Women at Warp podcast, oh. and you do an excellent Captain Janeway. Oh, thank you. I think I think that was why I got lucky enough to do Scratch for her because. You know, doing someone like Janeway for the animators to really get like her nuances and her, um, you know, delivery, you have to have it read in a way that she would speak. So I got to do my Captain Janeway, which is basically like Catherine Hepburn, but the captain of the USS Voyager. We're going to do it. We're going to go into space and we're going to have coffee and everyone's going to like it. Um, So it's just... It's just a fun voice that was probably a little bit raspier than I normally do, but um, I just love Kate Milgrew so much. So it was an honor getting to read her lines before she got to read them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I love you so much. I, I'm passing on. Um, here's here's your here's your part. So have you gotten to work with her on Zoom? No, I wish. Oh man. Don't I wish? I don't even know if she knows who I am or if she knows I did scratch for her. I have a feeling she's the kind of actress that can just walk into a booth and just read it and doesn't need to hear any scratch or timing because she's that perfect. <laughs> so Kate Milgrew, if you're listening, I adore you. And one day I shall give you a large hug with your consent. <laughs> Shivering here. It's amazing. And also, if you think about it, Hologram Janeway, as she is credited in the opening sequence, Mm -hmm. holograms are an extension of the ship's computer. So you are Captain Janeway. You are right. We are, you know, in a a way, we're all Captain Janeway in our own way. And and there's a little Captain Janeway inside of all of us. But, you know, I'm going to take that and go with it. Yes. Captain Janeway and I are tight. I mean, the computer and I, although I did... I don't um, spoilers if you have if you're not caught up with the five episodes um, that are out now. But um, I did. I loved the moment where, you know, she's trying to access parts of the computer and I got to do like a, you know, access denied negative. 
Access denied. You know, she was just kind of like, come on. <laughs> wow. Not many people get to defeat Captain Janeway, but you are one exactly. of the few. Exactly. Who's ha- who has the power now, Captain? <laughs> <laughs> are there other Star Trek characters you impersonate? Oh, gosh. Oh, I've never... Mm, I'm pretty sure I could I could probably do a, a decent Tilly, but I'd have to list. I with Janeway, you know, uh, when I knew that I was going in for scratch for her, I rewatched a lot of Voyager just to make sure I could get her, like her timing and and her you know her range, her vocal range. So with, I would have to probably go back and watch a few of anyone else I wanted to mimic. I love doing impressions, so and voice matching. So I'm sure if if someone gave me homework, I could probably go copy a few others. I feel personality-wise, I'd do a pretty good Neelix. <laughs> personality-wise? I've always thought, like, if ever I was in Starfleet, I wouldn't have much skills when it came to, like, science and security. But, uh, you know, a mor- uh, morale officer? Oh, I could totally do that. I could do, like, the morning announcements and, you know. <laughs> And I'm also a horrible cook, which Neelix kind of is too. So I feel like we have a lot in common. <laughs> well, <laughs> I look forward to that Star Trek. I look forward to you in that role. You know, Neelix and I together again for the first time. <laughs> That's right. Bonnie Gore and Ethan Phillips on tour. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so let yeah, me ask you this. You're playing the mm-hmm. ship's computer. And as you mentioned, it comes from a long legacy that starts with uh, Major Barrett Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. Oh. And there have been a lot of ship's computers over the years, her making up the majority of them, of course. There's mm-hmm. there's also a long history of, in our own world, ships being personified as female. And we also have things like Siri and Alexa and Cortana, which are all women's voices. Mm-hmm. Is it problematic that we're objectifying ships as women? I don't think so. I mean, you know, the entire bridge crew in the original series besides Uhura was made up of men. So it was nice to have a little female vocals on the, on the bridge. <laughs> but uh, I, no, I feel like I feel like it's it's funny to me because you're so right when it comes to like Alexa and Siri and, you know, Google Voice and, um, you know, computers in most you know, 2001 Space Odyssey being an exception, of course, <laughs> with Hal. Uh, most are presented as female, and I feel like it's because um, female vocals are a little bit less threatening. I feel like it's also maybe a little bit more smoother, more calming. Like, you know, if you had a female voice go- you know, going, red alert, red alert, and then you had a male voice going like, red alert, red alert, you know, <laughs> I, obviously that's not how a male computer sounds. But, you know, I feel like a female voice is more calming, more... Um, soothing, it, you know, in the Resident Evil franchises, franchise when they made the computer the voice of like that little girl, um, the AI was a little girl because having a little girl be the voice, you know, it makes it even that much, I guess, difficult to destroy it. And that if that makes sense, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm all for men vo- men voicing computers. I mean, d- don't take mine away, um, but sure, go go into other franchises, go have fun and. Go play on ships and be computers. You 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 do you. No no no. Um, I'm but- sorry. I I didn't mean to ambush <laughs> you with that. I certainly didn't mean to suggest that Star Trek needs more men. What are you trying? No, I know. I was just kidding. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm I was really just kidding. But uh, again, uh, you know, you leave the proto star out of this. Uh, no, of that, course. That ship, that ship is mine. No, that that role is yours, <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. 
that is uh, that you. is a great role for you, and I look forward to you playing more roles in Star Trek, just like Jeffrey Combs. Acknowledged. <laughs> yes. As do I. Sure. No, um, I, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Uh, you know, most ships are presented female. Also, but you have to also have to think. I think it's um, I think it's men doing that as well. Because look at look at men and their relationships to cars and their boats. It's usually always named a female name mm-hmm. or like. Are like oh she's a good girl you know Mustang Sally or my 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 boat Jenny or you know like most men and women name their automobiles their cars their you know trucks boats um, I don't know AC units I don't know whatever you know a, a female name you know like good girl let's go you know I think trains are named more masculine names i don't know now i'm just i'm putting gender to inanimate objects and i I feel awkward (laughs) but but you get what i'm saying i feel like it's it's actually like a part of society that we you know when we put a name you know when you get a new car it's like oh are you gonna name her you know a lot of people say that uh my car is actually named kermit so um so so take that i presume it's green it's it's lime green and it's the size of a tic tac it's very small so it's a little lime green chevy spark named kermit spartacus the third and he's a delight and he gets me where i need he gets me where i need to go and he is a horrible ninja car because everyone sees him coming he is bright green with library bard stickers slapped onto the back so now you know what i drive well you know speaking of library bards i have a couple of questions for you about that as well sure as I mentioned in the opening, your bombarded album from the Library Bards has all these <laughs> wonderful songs. Thank uh, you. And I was also watching uh, some of your music videos today, such as Hit Me With Your Best Shot, uh, oh. which, of course, you rewrote to be about Spock. Of course. And uh, Gandalf, of course, by Taylor Swift. <laughs> and I'm wondering, do you find a pop song and ask yourself, what pop culture nerd reference can we rewrite this to be about? Or do you start the other direction and say, let's do a Lord of the Rings song. What pop mm. culture song can we rewrite to be about that? It varies either way. Uh, when Xander and I first started the band, um, our first album, I, I had to think about what the first album was called. It's called Bardcore. I'm like, what's our first album name? <laughs> uh, our first album was a lot of more popular hit songs uh, more currently on the radio. For example, like Shake It Off, X's and O's. Um uh, Becky G's shower, you know, songs like that, that were a little bit more popular, um, with current times, I guess. And our second album was more classic rock, um, eighties, nineties, you know, everything like, like the sticks and, uh, ACDC and different, you know, different bands like that. Um, uh, Aerosmith's dream on about Klingons. Yeah. So, you know, when we first started the band, it was let's write nerdy parodies. And we were coming up with different ideas. Our, I think our first song we wrote was all about that space to all about that bass. And all of a sudden, all of, you know, as we were recording it, all of these other parodies came out with the same idea. And we we're like, okay, we got to think more outside the box. And I think that's when Gandalf was made. And then we just, it just went from there. You know, we would take songs that we heard on the radio and we're like, oh, I like this song. Can we sing this? Can it be in our key? Can we add harmonies? And then we would, you know, um, think of different ideas. Like I remember we thought of um, Imagine's Dragons, Radioactive. And I was like, I really like this song. It's a fun song. What can it be about? And that's, 
we kind of thought about different fandoms and then that's how it turned into uh my princess is captive princess is captive which is a super mario link duet um so yeah it it, it varies there's certain t- there's certain things that i um certain fandoms that i really really wanted to sing about and couldn't find a song that fit until a light bulb moment went off i remember we were all at a birthday party at a bar uh with music playing and we're sitting there and Mr. Killer, um, the killer's Mr. Brightside comes on. And I looked over at Xander and I started singing, you know, it's the princess bride. And I got so excited because I've been wanting to do a princess bride song and I had no idea how to execute it. And that's when the light bulb clicked. And I think I wrote it like the next day. So we really write about things that we're, we love the Sailor Moon song Xander wrote. Uh, he's a huge Sailor Moon fan you know, Princess Bride song I wrote. So like we we take fandoms that we're both very passionate about and and write them. And then a lot of the things that we're both passionate about we'll write together. Or there are certain songs that I'll start writing and then get stuck on a few lyrics and hand it off to Xander. And then he'll start writing something and then hand it off to me. And uh, where we get stuck and kind of have that, um, uh, you know, a writer's block, the other will fix. So it's it's a really great collaboration that we do. You do realize that for those of us who aren't cool enough to be invited to birthday parties in bars, sometimes your parody is the first version of the song we will have heard. Amazing. Wow. Oh, I'm honored if that was your first uh, introduction to The Killers. It was. The side. It was. Wow. Okay. You know, a lot of people think our, our Sailor Moon song, uh, Moon Prism Power, is an original because a lot of people aren't familiar with Becky G's Shower. And... Um, so, you know, we'll correct them if they ask, but if they don't ask, we just go about our day. So, <laughs> thanks, Becky G, for making us seem like we're pop stars. So you have this wonderful collaboration with Xander for that mm-hmm. album that came out two years ago, Bombarded. Now you are mm-hmm. back on Kickstarter for your own solo album. Oh, boy. You talk a little bit about this in your pitch video, but can you tell our listeners what motivated you to now do your own solo album? Well, you know, a lot of people know me as a comedy musician, and that's totally fine. Um, but I've been, you know, a singer. I've done musical theater all my life, obviously, theater nerd, and uh, got, you know, got my start in Louisiana, where I'm born and raised. So blues and jazz has been a big part of my upbringing. Um, I love to sing jazz. I love to sing blues. And I just don't get the opportunity to, to do much of that. And I write a lot of original music that I just don't really share a lot. Um, mostly because, you know, a lot of people get that imposter syndrome where you um, you don't really uh, – yeah, it, it, it was scary. I was like, well, people know me for comedy. People know me for parodies. I'm just going to keep doing that because that, that's worked. And, uh, you know, COVID, again, put things into perspective for me. Um when everything locked down, you know, everyone's shut up in their rooms. And I had a lot of alone time in my own head, which is never good when you have ADHD. And I wrote a lot of new music, new songs, came up with a lot of new ideas for music. And we, you know, we were kind of on hiatus with Bards since most of our, our work with library Bards is through the Comic-Con circuit and all of those were closed. So we kind of took a hiatus and focused on solo things and uh, and then I had a health scare over the summer where doctors thought I might have cancer, and that was really scary. And luckily, everything is okay. I still got to get checked every six months just to make sure everything stays that way. But um, it it kind of put, you know, like a magnifying glass on 
my life and what I wanted to kind of leave behind. You know, it, it, you when you have to look your more your own mortality in the eye, you're like, okay, if I die tomorrow, you know, what am I leaving behind? What what is my legacy in a way? And that's so silly to think about. But you know, as a creative person, where really all I feel like all of my being is creating and music and and um you know comedy and laughter and 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 different things about my about myself that kind of makes me who I am uh I was just like I have all of this all of these original songs that no one's heard like maybe now's the time to do it and so that what kind of motivated me to do the kickstarter and uh, I was blown away by the support. You know, it's always in a creative field, again, with the imposter syndrome and all this, it's always so awkward and so humiliating when you have to ask people for help and and ask for money. Like I never, you know, I wish I was in a financial place to where I could do the album all by myself. Um, and that's just not the case, you know, being in entertainment, you never know when your next paycheck is coming from. And, um, you know, I was unemployed for a while with the, you know, the place I worked, the magic castle in Hollywood, it was closed all through COVID. And, you know, so I was just at a place where I want to make this album and I don't have the means to do it. And I was blown away by so much support. I was going to make it really simple and just have me and piano and pray that I could unlock maybe a drummer and a, and a bass player and we just blew through like the first few stretch goals of unlocking those musicians within the first couple of days. I was just, I, I'm so grateful that I have people out there that are so supportive and that want to hear what I'm writing. Um, and for all the nerds listening and the people that love library bards, like there will be some, you know, comedy and tongue in cheek on this album. It is very nerdy. So I don't want people to get discouraged and think, oh, it's a jazz album. Like, I'm not going to like that. It is, you know, there's a few songs on there. I have a, I have a rock blues, uh, like a, a blues rock anthem uh, about my daily struggles with ADHD. And it's it's pretty funny. That song is going to rock. <laughs> I have a song about Comic-Con, like falling in love with a, um, a man who is, a, you know, you think the whole song is about this man being a criminal, a con artist. And if you listen to the lyrics closely, you'll realize that every lyric is has a double meaning. And I'm speaking about an artist, an artist alley at a Comic-Con. So really, you know, when it comes to my lyrics, I'm really proud. And I'm, I'm hoping that uh, people find something that they connect with in the album. And that includes, I understand, a Star Trek song, possibly? Okay. Oh, so for the Trekkies out there... In fact, I actually was talking to the person who's arranging a lot of the music today about this. I'm attempting, again, I don't want to get everyone's hopes up because there is always that, you know, fear that, <laughs> you know, CBS will come after me. I'm going to, I'm trying to get mechanical licensing for all the songs and, you know, do this the right way to make sure, you know, A, I don't get sued and B, you know, everyone gets paid what they're due and, Yada yada, but um, we're trying to create a Star Trek medley, a jazz like it'll be with a full jazz band and me singing, um, you know, excerpts from everything from the original series to Faith of the Heart from Enterprise, uh, a Horus song 
um, from the Charlie X episode. I, we might try and slip in, you know, blue skies in there as a, an homage to data and, you know, data's daughter. Um, you know, we might even, I might try and slip in, you are my sunshine for, uh, you know, the doctor and seven of nine and, and basically do a medley of songs that some of the songs are actually just old standards, but are, or are important to the Star Trek canon in a sense that people who are fans of Star Trek will know the nods of what I'm doing and, you know, inter interlace different themes like Voyager and DS nine and whatnot throughout the background arrangements. I mean, it's going to be a beast of a song and we're already starting to work on it and we're probably not going to even record it until, you know, late January, February for that one. And we'll see if we can, if we can pull it off. I think, I think it can be done. And with that being said, I hope it can be done. I hope I make you all proud. (laughs) (laughs) Your original goal was $7,500 to do all this. Right. And that was just going to be me and a piano. It was going to be very simple, like me and a jazz piano and the money would go to recording and, you know, arranging and just the pianist and mechanical licensing. I mean, it was going to be very simple, but as the stretch goals got unlocked, I had to keep coming up with different new exciting things. Like I, I unlocked a uh, duet with Jason Charles Miller, who's an incredible, not only incredible voiceover actor, um, but like just an epic country rock star. If you look up his band, he's an, he's amazing. And so we're actually, uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what we're singing. Cause no one knows this. <gasps> uh, I, I've only released besides the Star Trek medley. I've only released one uh, cover announcement, which was um, I'm doing a slow jazzy version of it's not easy being green from the Muppets. Cause this album again is all about, what makes me me and I'm paying homage to the fandoms that have shaped me as a person. And Jason Charles Miller and I are doing a duet. It's going to be a like bluesy rock version of storybook love, the theme from the princess bride. So um, for all you princess bride fans out there, you're the first to know this and I'm so excited. I wanted to do that song on the album I was gonna. I was planning on doing it solo, and I've been researching a few different ways to add harmonies to it, and I, I, it just ended up turning into a duet. And so now, uh, Jason Charles Miller will be taking that with me, and I'm so excited. It's gonna sound really, really cool. That is very exciting. You're hearing it here first. Well, thank you. That is super exciting to share, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Two years ago, I had to really downsize a lot of the stuff I owned. And so I went through my Mm -hmm. DVD collection, and I realized I had four different editions of The Princess Bride. And so I'm like, hmm, I really only need one. So I gave them to all my (laughs) friends. I gave one to my mom, who had never seen it before somehow. And so we watched it together and she loved it. And I thought the movie was great on its own, but now it makes me think of this special moment I had with my mom, which is cool. And uh, I love your existing Princess Bride song on Bombarded. So now there's (laughs) something new for me to look forward to. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because that song is not very, you know, melodically complicated. It's a very simple song. Most people, I think, prefer it as an instrumental because the lyrics are a little you know, campy, cheesy, 
But honestly, when I watch The Princess Bride and that song comes up on the end during the credits, I cry every time. Even It is so cheesy, but it just... Every time I hear that song, it reminds me of The Princess Bride, which is my favorite movie of all time and one of my favorite books. So it was really important for me to get it on the album somehow. So I'm really glad Jason agreed to uh, do that one with me. And the next stretch goal, which we're almost to, Uh I think we're about $700 away from, will be unlocking a bonus track, which I have made into another duet with the incredibly talented Gray Griffin. If you don't know who Gray Griffin is, go look her up. She has done the voice of pretty much everything you could think of when it comes to uh, cartoons. Uh, I mean, she's the voice of Daphne and Scooby-Doo. I think she's done Wonder Woman. She's done... um, She was the voice of, uh, oh, the villain on Avatar, The Last Airbender. She's incredible. Just go look her up and, and you'll look at her IMDb and go, well, she's everything. And she's also an amazing singer and musician. So I'm, I I won't tell you what we're doing because I have to write it because it's, it's really complicated though. It's going to be kind of like the Star Trek medley in the sense that I'm, it's going to break my brain a little bit, but it's going to be worth it. And because she and I both do so many different voices, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. Are these people you're doing duets with people you've worked with before? Are they friends of yours or are they just people you admire that you're cold calling? <laughs> Why not both? Uh, honestly, <laughs> both. Jason, I, I've been very lucky enough to have worked with Jason in the past on, on projects. And, you know, we're, we're both um, TTRBG players. Uh, we both have worked and done shows on Geek and Sundry. Um I record, you know, a lot of the time with doing anime and video games, he has his own recording studio that um, a lot of the companies will rent out. And so I've recorded at his studio quite a bit. And so he's a dear friend. And I I really do um, love, love working with him. And we've never really sung a duet together before. And it's always been on our bucket list. So this was kind of like the perfect opportunity for me to not only get him to sing a duet with me, but to make him sing a duet with me on a song of my choosing, (laughs) on my grounds, on my rules, and use his incredible talent for the greater good, which is my album. Gray Griffin, not only am I a huge fan of hers, but we have also worked together. We were on a a Cartoon Network show called Mighty Magiswords. She was the lead character on that. I, I played a few roles throughout seasons one and two. So whenever we got to record together, we'd have just such a great time. And she's one of the people in this industry, you know, voiceovers, voiceover acting is very competitive. And, you know, everyone's auditioning for the same roles. Everything's, everyone's auditioning, you know, it's, it's very, very competitive, but at the same time, it's some of the best people in the industry. And I think Gray is one of those fellow voiceover actors who really likes to like raise people up instead of shoot people down. If that makes sense. She's been so supportive of me, you know, as a voiceover actor coming from kind of like the bottom of the totem pole where she's at the top, she's been very supportive and just, there's a lot of people in that in, in Hollywood that if you don't have a certain level of followers or, um, if you're not a certain level of fame, they don't really want much to do with you, which is very sad. A lot of Hollywood is all about who you know and networking. And 
I'm very grateful to be surrounded by people who are just so talented and incredible and at the top, but treat people with respect and are not that fake Hollywood feel, if that makes sense. She's just a genuinely kind person. And I'm sure that the people you're reaching out to see those same qualities in you, Bonnie. Oh, well, thank you. I hope so. I hope that I always stay true to my roots. And, you know, if I'm if I'm ever lucky enough to get to a certain level of, you know, um, recognition of, of fame and, and whatnot, I would hopefully use it to raise others up as well. Well, you already are. You could have just as easily said, no, I'm not going on your stupid podcast. <laughs> Well, what what good would that do? <laughs> Wait, you mean I, I get to sit here and geek out with someone and just randomly talk for an hour? That sounds great to me. Most people are paying me to not talk. Like, <laughs> please, please be quiet, Bonnie. We'll just no, no more rambling. No, no. People are giving you money on Kickstarter because they want to hear more from you. Oh, thank you. And you're almost at the 20,000 mark after you hit your 17,500 stretch goal. After that yeah. is 20,000 where you're going to do a music video. Is that right? That is true. I'm planning on doing a music video for con artists. It's very 1940s film noir feel of, um, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, you know, because again, it has that feeling of I'm in love with a criminal and I'm going to give you that feeling throughout the music video. But I, you know, I want to be walking down a dark alley with a trench coat and a fedora with, you know, I, I, I have the whole look of the music video in my mind and I know it's going to be um, not cheap because I like to dream big and I'm very lucky to be surrounded by an amazing, um, group of creative people that of course will help me make it come true. And, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that happens. I also have, I, look, I have ideas for like five music videos. Don't get me wrong. You know, one of the covers I'm doing, I guess I'm just going to tell you another cover I'm doing. I'm doing like, I think five or six originals and four or five covers i can't i i don't know that it keeps fluctuating depending on on uh how much um mechanical licensing will be <laughs> but one of the covers i'm planning on doing is um jessica rabbit's why don't you do right and i want to i kind of want to do a music video for that one as well um but man you know i i i, I tend to dream big and i'm hoping that you know, when the album's released, I'll be able to at least have one music video, hopefully two. That would be incredible to help um, accompany the album release. Because I saw that you budgeted 6% of your crowdfunding toward a music video. I assume that's whether or not you hit the 20,000 goal. Right. And well, and here's the thing, you know, the, the I, I hate to talk m money on, on this podcast, but uh, I, you know, when I initially made the goals and stuff, you know, I wanted to make sure that I'm paying um, the musicians and the studio and, and everyone I'm, I'm including on this album, what they deserve, uh, especially with musicians, you know, they always get um, underpaid, you know, they never really get paid what they deserve. And I'm very lucky and fortunate to know some insanely, talented musicians who are, you know, wanting to be on this album that I, I, I sing in a few bands out here in the LA area that I have, um, connections with these amazing musicians. And I have like a horn section that, you know, there are they're just great group of people that are, are willing and ready, but I have to make sure that I'm not, um, 
taking advantage of their generosity. Generosity. So a lot of the budgeting is going to that. Also, you know, with the library bards, we were always able to use orchestrated tracks, we would hire a person to make the tracks and basically play all the instruments and, you know, uh, do it there. This time I'm using live musicians and I kind of underestimated what that is going to entail when it comes to studio space. Cause I have to make sure I, I can rent a studio that has the, enough room for a grand piano and, you know, the bass player and the drum set and, you know, where we can all fit and record comfortably and and it'll be multiple days. So right now I'm working out the budget sheet. I'm not good at this kind of stuff. I you know, one day maybe I'll take an accounting class to help me learn what I'm doing. But uh you know, it's it's a lot of work and I'm do- and I'm really doing this Kickstarter all by myself. I am um, so it's it's a little overwhelming. Oh gosh, I don't want to get emotional, but it's it's incredible. It's an incredible feeling. And I'm feeling so excited for it, but I'm also on a slight brink of panic all the time (laughs) when I think about all the work I have to do by myself. And I want to make sure everyone gets their rewards and their fulfillment and shipping. And, you know, so it's, it's a lot, you don't realize how much it, how much goes into it until you sit down and write it down. And you're like, oh dear, this was, this might've been a big, like a big, uh, pie in the sky moment for me. Well, the good news is that you've already met your goal and granted that now comes with some obligations, but you could like just totally screw up the rest of your Kickstarter and you'll still have an album. (laughs) Exactly. No, here's the exciting part. The album's definitely getting made. I mean, I've already, we've already, we're already working on the music. We're already working on the charts and the arrangements. And as soon as the holidays are done is when we're going to get into the studio and start rehearsing and recording. So it's happening. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind it is happening and it's going to be epic because I tend to, again, when I, when I want to do something, I tend to dream big and nine out of 10 times. I can make it a reality or at least an optical illusion of a reality. And I have a feeling that this album is is going to exceed all of my expectations with what we're already working on. So That is amazing. Uh, I have another money question for you. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> well, you've mentioned a couple of times the question of obtaining mechanical licenses. Yes. Is it a question because they say no or because they say yes, but they want too much money? Well, I'm trying to figure that out. Mechanical licensing, it's a, you know, there's, for the songs that are just songs, I'm able to get the mechanical licensing and I've been able to figure that out. A lot of the covers I'm doing belong to IPs, um, you know, belong to, you know, are owned by like Disney and, <laughs> you know, uh, different properties. And I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, getting the mechanical licensing is one thing, but I also want to make sure that I am okay in the sense of I'm not going to have a major corporation come after me. You know, obviously I'm doing a cover. I'm not like using, I'm using all original music and arrangements and whatnot, but I also just, I want to make sure I play it safe with our previous albums. We've always been protected under parody. Um, and we all, we always use, you know, original tracks as well. So it was a lot easier to maneuver because again, parody is parody. And um, this is completely different. You know, we're, we're using, um, the melodies and the lyrics the same and 
you know, I got to, you know, I just, I just want to make sure I do it right. And again, I'm, this is not something that I'm, I've done before. So if, I mean, if anyone listening is, does this for a living, please reach out, (laughs) you know, slide into my DMs. You have my permission because, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of navigating this on my own and it's been, it's been very educational because again, this is a field. I'm, I'm a musician. I'm a singer. This is stuff I need to know, but I've never, and because I've never done an album before that's been mine, I've never had to had to do this before. So this is all very scary. But I, I'm loving it. I'm loving the journey. And just to confirm my own understanding, mechanical license means you have the right to recreate a sample from somebody else's song. Is that right? Right. It, meaning um, like a composition or musical work uh, to create a cover song, reproduce, or like a sample of a portion of original composition. I sound like a Wikipedia definition. <laughs> it, it, it applies to the copyrighted work, you know, that's not public domain and whatnot. And also, so I have to get the mechanical license and then also like it's a certain amount, a percentage of each album I make. So for example, if I, you know, order 2000 physical CDs, it, it, it would, it would be each song would be like, I don't know, like 10 cents or 15 cents each on each album, you know? So I just got to make sure I'm, I'm doing the math correctly. I, you know, it's a lot of math and math is not my strong suit. I'm more of a poet than a mathematician. <laughs> so, uh, I'm just going to have to, you know, I'm going to make a lot of graphs and a lot of spreadsheets and a lot of fun email threads with random companies. And it's going to be a blast. Let me tell you, but regardless, my original music, I won't have to worry about. So good. Yeah. My original music is all, it's all me. Well, that brings me to another question, which is you said in the Kickstarter that con artist is your chance to really showcase your voice and songwriting skills while still celebrating the things that make you, you. And you referred to the Muppets and to Star Trek, but there are also going to be original songs on there that aren't about these very important franchises. Mm -hmm. So Bonnie, what makes you, you? (laughs) Wow. Oh, we're going deep. Um, there, you know, there, again, I've had these songs, a lot of these original songs for years. So a lot of them I wrote when I was in a, in a, not in a weird place, but a lot of them is, is when I was writing things. If, if something happened to me in my life, a way for me to heal uh, would be to write it on paper, to write music for it. For example, um, a good friend of mine um, who I performed magic with at the Magic Castle with uh, Jonathan Pendragon, uh, my friend Jacosa, she passed away a few years ago. And the night that she passed away, um, I wrote the song Jacosa. And it was a way, it was kind of like my way of of grieving as well as a gift to her family. Because um, I didn't know, I words could not express what I was feeling. And I wanted to show them how special she was to me and how special I thought she was to the world and how the world should see her. So I wrote Jacosa and that was a gift to them. And they have given me permission to re-record it and put it on the album. So I'm very excited for people to hear that. And I'm going to dedicate the track to her as well and donate pr- proceeds to that, to the album, um, to a foundation or I guess I, I can't really, a company that she helped create in Atlanta that would um, teach like underprivileged kids um, circus performing like trapeze and 
aerialists and you know it was almost like big brother big sister where you know like she would mentor children and teach them different um variety acts and 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 things and you know it's a way of, of them learning and having something to do with with peers and it's something that's different and fun for kids to learn so i i wanted to make a donation to that um corporation that she helped co-create it's going to be to the uh makeshift circus collective is the company i also have a song <laughs> called bar hopping it's a blues song that i wrote and every verse is takes place in a different bar. I literally went bar hopping and wrote a verse on on a napkin in a different type of bar. So one one verse is a sports bar, one is a dive bar, one is a piano bar, one is a nightclub. And so and I would just write down what I what I saw. And so it's kind of funny. It it's called bar hopping, but the alternate title is everyone's reflection looks better in a bar. <laughs> and it's uh <laughs> It, so that one's, you know, a fun song as well. Let's see. Oh, the originals. I have a song I wrote called Hold the Fire. And it was one that I wrote while being on tour. You're getting all the inside scoop of the album. My goodness. I haven't even released this to the Kickstarter people yet. But oh, gosh. I know. So I guess I'll, I'll be making that post soon. <sighs> but um, Hold the Fire is a song that I wrote. I went on tour for like a month, a month and a half with this traveling show that would perform at Rin Fairs. This was a long time ago. And uh, it was a bunch, you know, I, I, I want to be obviously politically correct and not use the word gypsy, but they actually would describe their show as that because the creators of the show were like nine generation Romanian trick writers and like their families were actually, you know, they come from that background. So they were actually okay with us describing it as that. Romanian, Italian, you know, all their, all their horses knew the commands and all these different languages. Um, and it was an incredible show to be a part of. They were, you know, juggling fire, doing backflips off the horses, uh, doing all these crazy stunts and, and then sword fighting, jousting. You know, we performed at all these different random county fairs and rin fairs. And I was kind of like the MC and the, um, you know, I don't know what you would describe me as like the jester, I guess the, the MC, the comic relief, the, you know, um, of the show. And I, you know, it was kind of like my first real crush. I, I went on this tour because I kind of fell for one of the fellows who every, all the women fell for him, you know, like, it, you know, he had this charisma about him and the song is called hold the fire because he would literally juggle fire. Uh, you know, and machetes and random things like that. And wow. he was also a very talented musician. We're actually still really good friends, so it's okay. I can, you know, don't freak. If he's listening, don't freak out. Um, <laughs> but no, he knows. He actually knows the song is about him as well. So uh, he's excited that it's actually getting recorded now. And it's called "Hold the Fire." Um, and like the whole part of the song is, you know, uh, like some of the lyrics are, you know. He's as wild as the fire he holds in his hand. He's as free as the birds on their wings. He's as hard to hold on to as um, small grains of sand. He's as beautiful as the songs that he sings. You know, stuff like this. So it's very, it's very uh, pretty melodic song, but it's all about, you know, falling for someone that they're so much of a free spirit that you're never going to have them. And you just have to be okay with that and kind of let them go. You know, uh, the, 
the tag of the line is if you love him at all, let him go type mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's me. I wrote the song uh, to all the women out there that fall for, you know, the people that are, or not all the women, but just all the people in general that fall for someone that the love isn't really um, in the reciprocated yeah. or, you know, they're a free spirit and they, they don't want to love you back or they're, you know, on their own, you know, doing their own thing and it's okay. You know, if you love them, let them go. It's, it's uh, so hold the fire. It was always like one of those, uh, I wrote that while we were on the tour and watching him, you know, interact with all of these women who would just be so mesmerized by his charisma and his, you know, the way he just could, um, yeah, take a stage and you're just like, well, there it goes, you know? Yeah. So I wrote that. And then it kind of it reflects back on me to where I feel like I'm in that same way where I'm kind of like the free spirit in a, in a sense that the song changes in the end where the pers- the pers- perception perception changes where now I'm singing about myself and I'm not singing about him. And so basically, if you love me at all, let me go. So I'm singing. And then it, the whole perspective changes to where I was singing it to someone else, explaining to them why I couldn't share the same feelings for them. I don't know. It's uh, a, I guess it's a, yeah, it's a deep song, I guess, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be a a lovely variety of songs Mm -hmm. of going from Star Trek and Kermit to these tributes to your friends and lovers and gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. Oh, and I, I have a song, um, called enough that is about imposter syndrome and it's a Ooh. it's a song that i wrote during covid um to my younger self and basically it's like a love letter to my younger self because growing up you know i was the weird nerdy kid that i wasn't pretty enough to hang out with the popular girls i didn't feel talented enough to do anything or smart enough to you know be the best in the class you know and everyone gets those feelings no matter how successful you are in any field imposter syndrome i feel is a part of everyone. Mm-hmm. And in, in the entertainment industry, it is like, it is, it is burdening. And, you know, there's so many times where you just want to give up and you don't, and you, you just, you know, I, I wrote this for my younger self and as a, also to all the people out there who suffer from that little monster inside their head that just says they're not good enough. And, and the whole point of the song is to be like, you know, it goes through the journey of this little girl when she's a young girl, you know, seeing all the popular kids out in the cafeteria sitting together and not feeling like she belongs. And then to where she's older and like trying to, you know, audition for certain things. And all she's getting told is you're the wrong type, you're the wrong size, you're the, you know, this, that. And then, then the end of the song is it's, you know, all of this, all of this rejection and all of this pain has made you so much stronger. You're so much stronger than that voice inside your head. And you know, the monsters inside have nothing compared to the strength that you've carried by, even though the imposter syndrome is so strong, you've kept going. And that just makes you a warrior, uh, like that just keep battling ahead and you are enough. Basically the whole song is trying to prove to myself and to anyone listening, you are enough. Wouldn't it be nice if we could be strong without pain and rejection? Right? Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, sure. I feel like I've just, I, I feel so sorry. I feel like I've just commandeered this this podcast, rambling about all the song, the tracks of, of this album. I'm so excited to finally talk about some of the, the things I'm putting on this record. 
But again, I feel like I've just taken over your whole podcast. <laughs> no, your rambling is leaving me more excited for this album than when I started. Perfect. I'm so glad. And hopefully listeners will get excited too. We still got, I think, 14, 13 days left of the Kickstarter. So if you want to jump on and be a part of that, you know, please. I'll be I'll be posting updates throughout the entire Kickstarter process. And as soon as we get into the studio, posting behind the scene, behind, behind, behind the scenes um, videos and, um, you know, I'm probably going to make little special videos introducing each member of the band that I've collected. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just so excited. It's getting made. I can't even tell you putting my work out there. You know, it's, it's like wearing my heart on my sleeve. It's, mm. it's, it's definitely making me feel very vulnerable, but at the same time, it's, it's, liberating and, and exhilarating. Yeah. And I can, I'm sorry that you had that health scare, but I'm glad that some good has come of it, that it was maybe what you needed that final push to put this aspect of yourself out there. You know, it's a great way of thinking it. And honestly, I have so many friends who've, you know, struggled through even more and um, seeing their strength, you know, especially through COVID where I think all of us just, uh, it was so, um, I mean, I feel like everyone struggled both with mental health and, you know, everything from financially to to socially to, you know, psychologically to where I feel like we've all just, we've all just been through battles and I, f I feel stronger coming out on the other side of it. And I hope other people do too. I mean, we're technically not through the pandemic yet. I don't think we ever really will be with the way things are going, but at least things are going in the right direction where we can at least start um, to feel some kind of normalcy again. Well, that's actually one of my last questions to you, which mm -hmm. is the album's scheduled to come out in March of 2022, which is just four months away. I know. That's, it, oh, don't remind me. <laughs> you also tweeted that you are now booking uh, performances at pop culture events and cons throughout 2022. Yes. And I think your tweet jinxed it because just a few days later, Omicron. Ooh, yeah. When I said, when I said, you know, cons, I didn't mean another variant. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how far in advance are you feeling comfortable booking events when everything can change on a dime? Well, you know, it, it's, it's rough because I, I already have things booked for 2022 and I know that anything could change, especially a lot of the international bookings. Um, with international travel for me, you know, I am fully vaccinated and I've also been boosted and I'm going to continue to get boosted for as long as they recommend it. And, you know, I feel like if we all just stay healthy, wash, wash our hands, wear our masks, you know, we can continue to do events. We just gotta be, we gotta be careful. Mm -hmm. I think people are starting to kind of drop their guard a little bit and, you know, and, and that's a little, it can get a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. I am also vaccinated and boosted and I still wear my mask mm -hmm. and I was, and I think still am looking forward to going to PAX East in Boston, my hometown. Uh, yeah. It's scheduled April 21st, the 24th. Uh, I, I, and they're requiring vaccines or proof of a negative test. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the future of every event from here on out. You know, um, it, it can get so dangerous when, you know, if because if, if just one person has it, especially at a at an event like a con, it's going to yeah. spread like wildfire. I mean, think of all the con crud. You know, we joke about con crud and, and getting sick from conventions because, you know, people get colds and flus all the time from conventions, and now 
this would just amplify it even more. But I am, I am still very, you know, excited to book uh, for 2022. I, I've been reaching out to a lot of different conventions and different events and um, uh, cruises even. So keep a lookout on my schedule. I'll be hopefully doing more and promoting a uh, con artist. The library bards will be doing some as well. I don't want people to think that the library bards are, you know, ending. Um, we're, we're still planning on doing events and, and, and gigs together. We're just focusing on so much solo stuff right now. And it's hard for us to, you know, make sure our schedules overlap correctly. Did you and Xander have to have a talk b- about whether or not to launch con artists on the library bards Kickstarter account, as opposed to creating your own? Well, when we launched the Library Bards Kickstarters, you know, we used a lot of, you know, when you're doing it, you have to like put in personal information and like banking and all that other stuff. And um, so I, I was putting in all of that stuff. So now li- the Library Bards Kickstarter page has all of my personal information. So if I tried to make another Kickstarter with my name, with my personal stuff, it, it's basically it, it takes a whole other process of getting like verified on Kickstarter and they have to verify your, your bank account information and your, and your identity and all of this. And it was just easier just to put it up with library bards because then it's all under my name anyway, in the end. So it it didn't make sense for me to have to try and start a whole new page. And everyone knows, you know, a lot of my fan base was excited about the solo album because of library bards. And I wanted to make sure that they kind of also felt included in the process. Um, you know, like with our Library Bards fans, they've be, they've been supporting us from the beginning, and I wanted them to realize like this is still this this album's still nerdy. Like you're still gonna find some fun, you know, Bard Library Bard qualities about it. It's just going to be the way I want it to be. <laughs> well, I think it was also a very good marketing move to use the same Kickstarter account because Facebook, Twitter, I follow you on those. They have their algorithms that filter things out. Sure. But as soon sure. as the library bards launch a new Kickstarter, as somebody who backed your previous campaign, I immediately got an email notification. Oh, interesting. Oh, good to know. <laughs> I don't know how this works. That is how I found out about your latest Kickstarter. Wow. Okay. Thanks, Kickstarter. Thanks for, thanks for spamming my fans. <laughs> but no, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm so grateful that, uh, so many, I have so many different followers and friends and fans from different walks of life, everything from library bards, the quest, uh, Star Trek, you know, uh, tabletop RPGs, voiceovers, just everything that I've done and, and accumulated with my career that I feel like this this project accumulates all of that. It accumulates my love for for all of it. And I'm so glad that everyone's just kind of jumping on board and going on this adventure with me because it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a ride, let me tell you. <laughs> and for those who want to join you on that ride or follow you or just in general partake of your many diverse talents, where can they find you and your work online? You can find me all over social media at Bonnie Bell G. That's my personal uh, accounts. And you can find the Library Bards at Library Bards. I just started doing TikTok. I've been making fun TikTok duets. That's been a blast. So if you want to hear, you know, uh, with Library Bards, you hear a lot of my like pop and rock sound. But if you want to hear a little bit more of my jazzy vocals, you can go to my TikTok and see some of the fun duets I'm doing with random TikTok artists. I've been finding some fun things to sing with. And uh, I have a YouTube channel as well. We have the Library Bards one. 
with our music videos. And we have, uh, I have a personal YouTube that I have some music up. Not too much originals, but I, I, during COVID, I got bored and I made some fun videos uh, and mashups. I did a lot of mashups. I, it was my way of trying to figure out how to video edit as well. <laughs> so go have fun watching those. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, that reminds me the other night, I just all night while, whether I was cooking dinner or doing laundry or whatever, I had the song, all that jazz in my head. And I finally figured out it's because I listened to your TikTok. Wow. It just got stuck in there. So, well, there will be links to all of that in the show notes. Bonnie, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with Con Artist. Thank you. And thank you for having me and letting me just geek out with you about life and everything. And I'm just, I'm just excited to be able to be a nerd and to attempt to make a living at it. So thank you for letting me share that. It's a good time to be a nerd. Acknowledged. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net. Thank you.